understanding the doctrine of Christ and strengthening our testimony is a labor that will bring real joy and satisfaction. We need to consistently study the words of Christ as found in the scriptures and the words of living prophets. For behold, the words of Christ will tell you all things what you should do. Studying is then another essential key to become a better disciple of Jesus Christ. Prayer and scripture study go hand in hand. They work together for our benefit. This is the process that the Lord has established. To feast means more than to taste. To feast means to savor. We savor the scriptures by studying them in a spirit of delightful discovery and faithful obedience. When we feast upon the words of Christ, they are embedded in the fleshy tables of the heart. Well, so technically this week's lesson is 2 Kings 17 through 25, but I did want to go back and talk about a couple of stories from the previous lesson. Like when I when I teach Sunday school, I don't like to try and teach both weeks at once because there's just too much. But the two stories from the previous lesson where the prophet Elisha is, you know, it's the one with the, the woman and the boy who feed him and then themselves. And then also that of Naaman. Which I think there's those two stories are like really good little little nuggets that you can talk about and the principles in them are surprisingly similar so maybe we can kind of start there um basically prophet elisha shows up in this town and he comes across a woman and asks her for food and she's like listen i would love to help you but i'm about to just go home make my last meal with the last bit of flour and oil that i have for me and my son we're going to eat it, and then we're going to die. Which, every time I think about this story, I'm like, can you imagine being a parent and knowing this is this is what you have to do? This is all that's left to do. Like, what she's probably done everything she can leading up to this. She's probably done a lot to try and, and survive, to try and get more stuff. And she's basically at, at the end um, at that point. And then this dude shows up out of nowhere and is like, you need to feed me. And she doesn't know who he is. And she's probably like, look, man, uh, you might have it hard right now, but I've got it way harder than you. And he's, and then he, he reiterates it. Instead of going, oh, you know what? You're right. I'm sorry. I don't want to impose on you. Um, he says, just trust me on this one. <laughs> feed me first. And then you'll be okay. And... Once again, I have to I'm trying to put myself in, in that woman's shoes. And like, I would be like, no, <laughs> I'm not going to feed you first. I don't even know who you are, you know, but she must have, I don't know, felt something about it because she does. She feeds him first. And then she doesn't run out of, of flour or oil until we don't know how long it lasts. Right. But it basically lasts until she can get more again. And the principles of that story, I think, are there's probably a lot of different angles you can take it. But I always I always just think about, number one, Elisha's a prophet and he's asking her to do something. And anytime a prophet asks us to do something, 
there's a reason behind it and there's a blessing behind it. And even if we don't fully understand why, or even if it's not the best, most convenient situation for us, like it definitely was not for her, there's always some sort of blessing that comes behind that. And I don't know. I guess the the message there also is kind of just just do it. Just do what you're told to do. But that, that comes across kind of like... This is a really cool story. Because I know exactly what you're trying to say. I can't. I also cannot think of like because well, let's let's talk about why don't you walk us through the story of Naaman and then we can kind of because there's some similarities to them, right? There's they're very different stories and scenarios, but I think underlying principles are similar. But why don't you walk us through the story of Naaman a little bit? So Naaman was well, he was a Syrian captain, I believe. And um, he got had leprosy. Which means and, he wasn't a Jew, right? Right. Okay, so Naaman, he was a captain, uh, of, captain of the host for the king of Syria and was a great man and honorable. Um, because of him, the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria, which is interesting. But he was a leper. And so there, there, was, a, there was a maid that was, I think, captive, and, and she was friends with Naaman's wife, or was a servant to them. And she said, um, would God, my Lord, in verse 3 in, in 2 Kings chapter 5, would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria, he would recover him of his leprosy. So he's trying to say, if there was a prophet here, you could be healed, basically. And the king and the king of Syria said, go Go to go, and I will send a letter unto Israel. And so um, he sent gold and, and raiment and brought a letter unto the king of Israel. And then uh, kind of trying to drum up a favor for this great uh, captain. Like, hey, can you help my servant Naaman? Uh, you know, and so the prophet at the time, you know, Elijah. Uh, okay, I'll summarize it even more than, than trying to read it. But... Basically, Naaman goes to Elijah, seeking to to be healed of his leprosy, and Elijah doesn't even bother to come out of his tent. He sends his servant, "Hey, go tell this this guy." Um, and at first, uh, Naaman was upset or, or offended because it's like, "Hey, he won't even come talk to me." He sends his servant, and then the the quest is. Will you just bathe yourself, I think, dip yourself seven times in the Jordan? Yeah. And he was not pleased with that answer. He thought it was kind of beneath him. And he kind of, you know, the famous line is, aren't there greater rivers than this in Damascus, you know? Uh, and um, But Naaman had a really good, I don't know, helper, friend with him, messenger. And um, and in verse 13, he says, And his servant came near and spake unto him, saying, My father, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldest thou not have done it? How much rather then, when he say, saith to thee, wash and be clean. And uh, that's kind of probably humbling for Naaman. And he said, then in verse 14, Then when went he down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, 
And his flesh came again unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. And he returned to the man of God, and he and all his company came and stood before him, and they said, Behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth, but in Israel. Now, therefore, I pray thee, take a blessing of thy servant. So I really like that story because to me it it kind of really teaches the principle that that oftentimes we are what is asked of us we view it as either too simple it can't work but not up to our social not what we expect our, our standards right and, and and that's sometimes our pride and and sometimes we have this desire to do great deeds for the Lord or great deeds for a blessing and what it kind of all goes back to what we've talked about before that uh, obedience is better than sacrifice kind of the principle of you know uh, you know Neiman could have easily it could have been like Samson where hey go go kill 2,000 people with the jawbone of a of a donkey or something oh sure I can do that for for a blessing but that wasn't enough that wasn't, you know, and, and something that's being asked of you, dip yourself seven times in this water, water that probably wasn't, like they say, it wasn't the greatest river. <coughs> it seems very simple. But, but again, you know, such is the gospel. Oftentimes what is asked of us is pretty simple. And we try to complicate it into, well, this cannot work. It cannot work. It just doesn't seem like <laughs> i mean does this elijah understand science does he know that my skin my bacteria my epidermis the third layer is rotting out from it you know what what's this gonna you know and and that's why it's a miracle you know um like very similar like to our conversion and our change of heart uh you know there there are things like go to church every sunday you know uh, read your scriptures, say your prayer. How can this lead to that? How can this help me with this other problem that's super complicated? Or, and they can, you know. Well, there's also the idea of like, you know, if I was called to be mission president, man, that would be a huge sacrifice. But how incredible would that be in the experiences that I could have? And it's like, well, you're not being asked to be mission president, but you are asked to do ministering. Right, which is just in your own neighborhood with your neighbors, yeah. and it's like, yeah, but uh, it, a mission president, man, you have to—that's three years. You have to be called to go somewhere, and it's like, yeah, well, you are called to do some missionary work in your own neighborhood, right? And so it's like, sometimes it feels like it's almost a bigger sacrifice would be easier to do than some of the small stuff we're being asked to do. Um, there's a quote by Elder Packer. He says, some of us suppose that if we were called to a high office in the church, immediately we would be loyal and we would show the dedication necessary. We would step forward and valiantly commit ourselves to this service. If you will not be loyal in the small things, you will not be loyal in the large things. If you will not respond to the so-called insignificant or menial tasks, which need to be performed in, church, in the church and, the, and kingdom, there will be no opportunity for service in the so-called greater challenges. Mm -hmm. And... That one that one rings very true to me because it's like do do the basics do the little things don't don't worry about having some sort of high position high calling or big responsibility or prestige you know um 
do the little things. And if if you do that stuff well, maybe you'll have an opportunity to serve in other ways. But if you're not even doing that little stuff, um, you probably won't be ready for doing anything bigger. Yeah. So, Along those lines, I I think also the reward is the same, you know. So the reward that Naaman got for being obedient, just for dipping himself seven times, is the same as if he would have done a great deed as well, you know. Like um, if it's almost like I think it was President Hinckley who talked about our, uh, his responsibility, and he was talking to the deacons. I think he said, "My responsibility with the priesthood is just as great in my sphere as yours is in yours," you know, and and um, kind of to the point that you're saying is, you know, hey, people could think, oh, if I was the bishop or I was the prophet or I was this, then, you know, and it's like, no, it's the same, you know. Uh, You know, you you can be as blessed and have the same opportunity to grow and develop a relationship with the Savior, you know, doing your calling as someone who's in a more public or, you know, yeah, and I think some of the parallels between these two stories, these are prophet, the same prophet, um, asking two different people to do something that's seemingly simple or maybe um, not complicated. Because it definitely doing, I don't think, I don't think the ask was simple to the, the widow. That's a difficult thing to ask her to do. But it was not a complicated thing to ask her to do. It was, I just need you to feed me first. Feed me first, and then you'll be okay. And with Naaman, it wasn't a complicated thing he was asked to do. Go and dip yourself seven times in the river, in the Jordan River. But it was kind of difficult just because he was like, how is that going to solve anything? Shouldn't he come and put his hands on me and, you know, somehow bless it away or shouldn't he come and pull down power from something keep in mind this guy is not a jew right he doesn't know necessarily how the prophets work he's used to maybe more mystical stuff from other religions or whatever uh sorcery or something like that he's got this idea that you know the god of leprosy is going to come and and take it away um and so these people are being asked to do these simple things and the, the first response could have been, and for Naaman it was, he actually turned away angry, right? He left like, this guy won't even come and talk to me. And then he tells me to go do this ridiculous task. And it wasn't until, like you said, he was kind of talked down by his servant to say, hey, why don't we just give it a shot? I mean, how hard can it be just to go wash yourself? And then after he does it, he has this huge testimony. And the same thing, after this lady feeds Elisha, um she she also recognizes that she never ran out of flour and oil and you know the other thing that comes to my mind is how do we know that um who was there checking up on her weeks later or whatever to see that she still had it um i don't know in my mind it's it's kind of like a an allegory in some ways um because i don't think anyone was going back and saying hey have you run out of flour and, and oil yet Okay, good. Then this prophet, we can we can keep writing about this story. You know, it's it's more like here's the principle of obedience. Be obedient. Do as you're asked to do, especially when the prophet asks you to do it, and you will be blessed. Good things will come of it. 
regardless of what you understand or what you know, good things will come of it. I guess the the cynical way to look at it would be we just have to have blind obedience, right? No matter what the prophet says, just blindly obey. And that's kind of what I was getting at earlier. Like it, it feels like that because I, I that doesn't sit right with me. I I get what you're saying. I also feel like like for example for the the widow, we we know that she's in a very difficult situation from the stories and in the scriptures before when we were. Um, reading about what was it, Naomi and, and, Ruth. and Ruth, that a single woman, you know, is has to make her living, you know, gleaming off fields, uh, taking whatever charity people can give her. And then on top of that, she has a child. That's probably complicates things even more. But to her, the Lord asked her for what appeared to be everything. Yeah. Like in that moment, it appears he's asking me for everything. And the outcome is it appears to us like it's everything, but what I'm going to give you is everything back, right. you know, the, to sustain you forever. So the, the your fear, its appearance is just an illusion, kind of. Like, if you know, and for Naaman is kind of a different thing. It's like he probably had quite a bit. You know, and he actually sent gifts and things and, you know, and and it's like, but that's not what we're wanting out here. The everything for him was his pride. Can you can you obey in this scenario? You know, and so I don't think it's blind obedience as much as it is faith. And what faith requires of us is when we reach a point, it's almost like a mental block. And, and a lot of the times it occurs when. It's either social norms, uh, cultural norms, or or habits where we feel like I can't break through the or this is it. This is the wall. There is, you know, there is, and the Lord is saying you need to push past that wall. You need to dismantle it. You need to look at it through a different point of view, and that's where that faith comes in, where you have to trust blindly, almost. You have to, and and the Lord, I don't think He gives us from the beginning from zero to a hundred i expect you to take a leap of faith i i almost always think it's it's within reason like we talk about moses having to part the red sea and he had to take one or two feet in but those two one or two feet into the water were built upon other experiences that told them you know i've never parted water for you but i have sent locuses but I have sent you manna and a pillar of fire. And, you know, I sent you all of these other things. So when I ask this thing, we have a relationship where you can trust me. It's right. the same thing with, you know, uh, I, I was going to say Adam and Eve, but but they too have an experience, you know. Yeah, sure, they were kicked out of garden and, and, and things occurred, but they knew the Lord, you know. You know, and so and so oftentimes, sometimes our faith when we are asked to do something, sure, it may you may not have the understanding or feel that keeping the Sabbath day holy is a legitimate commandment or it's meaningful or it will heal and provide that miracle you need. But 
you have had answers to your prayers. You have felt the spirit in sacrament meeting. You had uh, felt, you know, as you read the scriptures, that they're true. So you use that to then take that leap of faith, if that makes sense. You know yeah. what I mean? Well, yeah, you're building on a foundation of at least past experiences. And if you don't have a ton of past experiences, it's at least uh, a trust in maybe what the Lord has done for others even, you know? Why do we have these stories to read in the Bible? Why were these stories passed down? Because not all of us have leprosy and have to wash in the river. And not all of us are on our last meal. But if we hear about someone who has been in those situations, who's obeyed the prophet and done what he said and was immediately blessed for it, then that can serve to help our testimony as well, right? Maybe not be something that we've ever personally experienced, but when those when the prophet comes and asks us to do something in general conference or in a just a regular, you know, uh, public address or whatever, um, we can treat that the same way as Elisha asking us, hey, feed, feed me first, or hey, go dip yourself in the river. And we can look back and say, okay, this doesn't make any sense to me. Scientifically, this makes no sense to me. Or this is asking way too much for me right now. And we can say, wait a second, but look at what he's done in the past for these other people. Look at how their obedience blessed them. And so, yeah, I don't think that you necessarily have to have blind faith when uh, we can we can have this this track record of these examples from the scriptures, from others around us, from family members, friends, whatever, when they bear testimony of the blessings they received from obedience. Uh, you, it's not completely blind faith or or just blind obedience. Um, when you can look back on that stuff and say, this is how the Lord works. Sometimes he asks a lot of us and it might feel like it's too much. But how much are we going to get back in return? Sometimes he asks very little, seemingly silly things, right? Why should I do that? That makes no sense. Um, because he, he has a bigger picture view of where we're at and what we're doing. Now, I, I like, I like, well, I like in this, in a weird way, <laughs> to Ammon when he visits King Lamoni and he's being a servant and he's like, I, I just I just want to live here and and if you want I'll go watch the sheep and blah blah blah. And then King Lamoni is it's it's his conversion process and he's coming from no experience, you know, uh, to draw upon, to have faith. But he places his faith in the fact that Ammon is unusual. And um, and he can ask him questions. And, and um, where is the verse in, in Alma chapter 18, when when Ammon, Ammon starts explaining to him, hey, um, in verse 22, and Ammon being wise yet harmless, he said unto Lamoni, Will thy hearken unto my words, if I tell thee by what power I do these things? And so King Lamoni had attributed other powers, like he's powerful. He cut the arms off these guys. He's over there feeding my horses. This is not a normal scenario. And and he asked him, well, well, you know, he asked something of him. That alone was asking him to have faith. And King answered and said, yay, I'll, I'll be, I will believe all thy words. And thus he was caught. And thus he was caught with guile. And Ammon began to speak 
unto him with boldness and said unto him, Believest thou that there is a God? And he answered, and, and you know, he goes through, Do you believe this? And, and then he adjusts a couple of things and he explains, Well, this great spirit is God, and blah, blah, blah. And then when King Lamoni finally prays, it's like, Hey, God, Ammon tells me there is a God. You know, and so even though he's he's doing these things on faith, the Lord provided for him experiences by which he can act on that faith based on true principles. And in this scenario was Ammon and his example and some of the knowledge he already had, just Ammon had to like reorganize it and correct it a little bit and give him the true knowledge because he goes through the creation, he goes about the scriptures, talks to, to the prophets. And, the, and then in verse 39 says, but this is not all. Well, he, he kind of corrects history with Laman and Lemuel and Ishmael down to the present time. And then in 39, he says, he, this is not only he expounded the plan of redemption. And I know we're not talking about the Book of Mormon here. <laughs> this is about the Old Testament. But as I read the Book of Mormon, I see these examples of how these prophets and, and Ammon and all these stories, I can understand a little bit better the Old Testament because the Lord is the same. This is the same Lord that's giving these this person an opportunity to have a change of heart, you know, just like the widow for her. It might have been a great act of mercy that Elijah showed up to ask for that last little bit of food because the Lord wanted to give her food to sustain her indefinitely, but also to give us a, a teaching of how when he asked for something, although to us it appears like that makes no sense. You know, it's like you have a hot dog and I say, you give me that hot dog and you will, you know, I don't know, I'll give you a bunch more. It just makes no sense. It's the fact that when the, the gospel is supposed to challenge us that way, you know, but not without reason and not without having faith to build upon experiences. So when the Lord, I don't know that he'll go from zero to a hundred with somebody. Even we, we talk about Saul on the road to Damascus or Alma the Younger, these great experiences where they went from the worst people to the best people. But those weren't, that wasn't from zero to 100. They had experiences. They had knowledge. They understood the scriptures. They were just, they had their, their desires and faith in the wrong place. So I don't know. That's why I like these scriptures, especially the name and one, the story. It's very much us very applicable to us in many, many ways, how we're asked, what our expectations and our ability to have faith. Blind, I don't know that, I don't know that there is blind obedience um, or blind faith or the Lord asking us to do something blindly. The the event may be blind because we've never done that before, but the whole story of, in all the scriptures Isaiah writes, tells us continuously reminding us the great things the Lord has done in the past. And so when we trust him, for us, it might be a leap of faith, but to trust in the Lord, he does not have a bad history of, he doesn't have not have history where, like, it's almost like he has a really good credit score, <laughs> where he has really good history where he always has come through, you know. It's just different when it's our situation, you know, and, and we have to take that leap of faith. I think if if everyone were to look at their own lives, they have personal experiences that, like you said, have helped them build that foundation. And I think that that's really what the intent behind Fast and Testimony Meeting is. 
um, it's it's the in, the intent is for us to go and share those testimony building experiences so that we can help each other put another brick in that foundation. We can help each other say, you know, I'm facing these challenges, I'm facing this this burden right now. But you know what? So and so said they faced something similar, and that this is what they did, and this is how they overcame it, and this is what the Lord did for them. And if the Lord can do it for them, then He can do it for me. Unfortunately, I think fast and testimony meeting often turns into just like a thankimony where we go up and we thank the Lord for everything that we should have thanked Him for in our own prayers, or we go up and we thank people like our family members for being who they are instead of just telling them that to their faces, you know, <laughs> in private. Um, I've been, I don't know, maybe I just have missed the point in a lot of fast and testimony meetings, but um, I don't, I don't necessarily think that we use it the right way all the time. And I think that, you know, we have these, these very personal, very sacred personal experiences, spiritual experiences. And I think we keep them too, too private sometimes. And I'm not saying we should, you know, tell every single experience we have, but that I think we need to be a little bit more generous with the way we share our spiritual experiences with one another. Because, you know, if this if this woman and her child had been in a ward somewhere and they had experienced this and they share this with others around them, you know, I gave this this man a meal first and I haven't run out of of flour and oil. I haven't run out of anything. People would be like, wow, that's an incredible miracle. If Naaman had gone, you know, after uh, being healed and gone and shared this with a lot of people, I mean, what he did do was send a bunch of, he wanted to pay them, reward them somehow. And of course, Elisha said no, and his servant kind of took some payment, and there's a whole thing about that. But um, the other thing I found interesting was that Naaman collects some of the soil from the land of, of where they were. And when he goes back to Syria, uh, he takes some of that soil with him. And I was like, what is that about? And I read something that they they would do that because Jehovah was the God over that soil. And when he wanted to pray, he wanted to pray on the soil of Jehovah. So it was almost like he didn't he didn't convert to being one of the people of Israel, but he definitely recognized the power and influence that Jehovah had. And so he did in some ways continue to bear testimony of the prophet Elisha and of Jehovah. We have the opportunity to build each other up when we share our, our spiritual experiences with one another. When we share how we got the foundation that we have with others, we can fortify their foundations too. Yeah, I, I like how this this year through Come Follow Me, I've noticed a lot more than I ever did before in the Old Testament that they're there's a lot of individuals that had great importance that weren't pure lineage of Israelites. You know, they 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 were adopted in. Uh, that you know, even who was it? Um, the the wife that we read about that she was not a Jew or a Hebrew, and through her is the line of Jesse. To which the Lord will come, you know. So it's it's really interesting because Israel is meant to. I think their destiny was in this time to be a light and a beacon to all their neighbors. 
what we're going to read in the next couple of chapters is how like the opposite almost happened. They keep falling for the traditions and the idolatry of the neighbors around them, you know. And so sometimes we think, oh, Israel was this one off and God only cared for them. And I think if you if you don't look at the entire standard works, you can you can easily come to that belief. But if you look at all of the scriptures and you realize, oh, Israel was sent to go help all of them. And Naaman is an example of that. If if given the right information, you would have had someone or you do have someone who was converted, you know, um, and and uh, it, it, it's just, I don't know, it's, it's interesting to me because I think that's very similar to the time that we live in now you know in the next scriptures i mean we're gonna go through kings and, and we have the first one it's hosea or hoshea hosea not a good king um he kind of conspired with the king of the assyrians uh i think they called it i don't know they used the word conspire but but uh, he basically made it so the children of Israel got led away um and and they they started serving idols. There's really weird, different traditions. Um, and um, in verse, in Second Kings, verse 17. Uh, I mean, we can go all over this place. <clears throat> for me, verse 12, where it says, For they serve idols, wherefore the Lord had said unto them, You shall not do this thing. Yet the Lord testified against Israel, against Judah, by all the prophets and by all the seers, saying, turn ye from your evil ways. So it wasn't that this happened and the people had no idea they were doing wrong. They were given by all the prophets and all the seers saying, turn ye away these evil ways. It wasn't like there wasn't any righteous people or any guidance for Israel. And, and they just, whoops, I fell into idolatry. I slipped on a banana peel and, you know, no. And then it says, and uh, turn ye from your evil ways, keep my commandments and my statutes according to the law, which I commanded your fathers, which I sent you by my servants, the prophets. Notwithstanding, verse 14, they would not hear, but harden their necks like the neck of their fathers. And they did not believe in the Lord, their God. Um, and they rejected his statue, his covenants. They followed vanity, became vain, and went after the heathen and were around, that were around about them, concerning whom the Lord had charged them, and they would not do like them, that they would not do like them. And they left all the commandments of the Lord, their God, made molten images, even two calves, and made a grove, and worshipped the host of heaven, and served Baal. Um, they caused their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire, and used divinations and enchantments. I don't know if that's emphasized where they started sacrificing their children or I don't know what pass through the fire means, but it doesn't sound pleasant. <laughs> this is where I expect you to come up with a quote. From I got one. Okay. <laughs> um, Elder Suarez, um, about verse 13, I was talking about the prophets basically are the connection, right? The Lord's telling them, you need to listen to my prophets. You need to pay attention to them. He says, prophets speak by the power of the Holy Spirit. They testify of Christ and his divine mission on earth. They represent the mind and heart of the Lord and are called to represent him 
and teach us what we must do to return to live in his presence into return to live in the presence of god and his son jesus christ we are blessed as we exercise our faith and follow their teachings by following them our lives are happier and less complicated our difficulties and problems are easier to bear and we create a spiritual armor around us that will protect us from the attacks of the enemy in our day here's the thing this whole this whole lesson chapters 17 through 25 is a lot of ebb and flow of righteousness and then falling away and righteousness bringing them back and then getting into captivity again and then a good king doing this stuff because the next king that we get is was it hezekiah or one of the next ones <clears throat> and when hezekiah takes power he's a good guy he comes in and he starts cleaning house right it says in in King, Second Kings 18:4, he removed the high places and break the images and cut down the groves and break in pieces the bra brazen serpent that Moses had made. Unto those days the children of Israel did burnt incense unto it, and he called it Nehushtan. Basically saying all this nonsense they were doing with starting to worship idols and and worship Baal, uh, he came in and and wiped it out. We're not doing this anymore. He took everything out, including. I guess the brass serpent that they used, the children of Israel used to look at when they were getting bitten by those snakes, that brass serpent was now being worshipped as a symbol of like healing or something like that. People were burning incense to the brass serpent. He's like, you know what? Let's destroy that that artifact now because it's gone from being this thing that was faith inspiring to now it's this thing that they're worshipping inappropriately, right? Um he, he cleans house, but you see a lot of this kind of coming and going, coming and going, coming and going. And I think the the main principle is we don't have to follow that same tide. Just because it's happening around us doesn't mean that we have to be like, oh, the world, the world's going into a bad place. The world is really taking a left turn here. And it's we, we live in a very difficult world now, so our lives are going to be a lot harder and our lives are going to be different. It's going to be harder to be a member of the church now. You know, you, you hear stuff like this now in our day. But the way the world is, it's harder and harder to be a member of the church. And I'm like, it's the same. It has never been any different. This is how many thousands of years ago? And it's the same. Who Who is the one standard? Who is the one constant? God. And who is his representative? The prophet. And so what I learned from this is no matter what's happening, no matter how many kingdoms are rising and falling, no matter how crazy you think the world is getting, all you have to do is follow what the prophet says. And not just the living prophet, but also the scriptures. You know, be aware of what the what the commandments are. Be aware of what the guidance is. And you can kind of ride those waves without succumbing to them. Um, it also goes to show guys like Hezekiah, they don't come out of nowhere. Um, he was at one point not in power and then when he took power he decided to, to clean things up but he was still a good guy even when things around him were not good and we kind of talked about that with with people like ruth who even though maybe weren't in you know society for them wasn't in a good position the children of israel were in captivity there were still people that were doing good things there were still people that were on a micro level, on a day-to-day -day personal level, doing the right stuff, even if the world around them wasn't. And so, I don't know, maybe it takes a little bit more resolve and clear focused and 
and view on on what the commandments are and where you stand with them. But once again, we're not asked to do tons of complicated things. We're asked to do very simple things in a very constant way, in a very consistent way, uh, and not relying on others to give us the excuse to be obedient. We just say, you know what, this is how I am, and I'm not going to change that just because the world around me is changing. Yes. Um, I thought it the the brass serpent thing was very interesting to me because it felt very much like Israel had developed their own subset of idolatry <laughs> where they 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 took their religion or understanding or, or principles and just twisted them a little bit to where they probably felt justified and they probably felt they were still worshiping the true God yet they had adopted bad beliefs and uh what made me think about that is <laughs> church history <laughs> we often we often almost worship that or events or people or items or journals or things to the expense of like not living our own life um not to say that things shouldn't be respected um but but I think we we give that's I think that's why the changing of the name of the church not changing but the reminder from the Lord through his prophet that the name of the church is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is maybe a symbol or a sign that our use of the word Mormonism or became kind of a subset culture that was detracting from the Lord you know and um, if we think that we are inoculated against idolatry, then we don't understand it. It's not in this scenario. It was like, oh, we have an idol and we have groves and we have calves and specific things that for them were everyday things for those around them. They're cultural things. I mean, there's some tricky political stuff that happens here. Messengers get sent. Hey, if you come with us or give us this, we'll give you 2000 horses who can who has a greater army who has this so in our day you know the equivalent of all of that is hey we're gonna give you this point of view and if you read these chapters or listen to them pay attention to all the times the word fear is used mm. fear is used for compliance fear is used to get people to fit in fear is used to get um people not to rebel fear like it's used in many ways they feared this they feared the assyrians they feared that they no longer fear the lord it tells us and and it's not like the lord wants us to fear him in the scriptures but it's the lord wants us to respect him and take seriously his commandments not to be afraid of him but likewise in these scriptures when they say oh you know the fear of the assyrians or the fear of their chariots or the fear of this it's very much in our day oh for for this point of view that's become popular in society for fear of not fitting in i'm going to allow it into my home or i'm going to bend the knee to it or or i'm going to entertain this notion when clearly it goes against the commandments now tolerance is a it's an interesting thing because we are asked to be tolerant. We're asked to be compassionate. As a church, we're asked to be kind. Um, 
and these aren't new principles. This is what the Savior did. He loved the sinner but condemned the sin. And we have to do a very similar thing because if we're not careful, by we will love the we will condemn the sinner and love the sin. Um, and we end up allowing some of these idolatrous beliefs into our lives that corrupt and the taint. And then then we feel like we are Israel or we are doing what's right, but we're worshiping a brass serpent or where we adjusted things. So, you know, my whole testimony revolves around this certain pageant that we do and, and the brethren took it away and how dare they and now I'm leaving the church or it revolves around the word home teaching over the word ministry or it revolves around, you know, and it's you, you, you're letting the mechanisms become your God and you're missing the point. And that was the whole point of when Christ came and talked about the law of Moses. It's like you miss the point. All of these things were pointing to this and I am that. And everybody was offended. Like <laughs> I cannot. Can you believe the death? And it's like because you do not recognize them because you miss the point. And that was the thing with these idolatry and these beliefs that we can easily miss the point. And the point is, why does God want us to have one true God? Oh, isn't it nice to just accept everything? And, and oh, just we love everybody. And and it's he's not asking us to be mean and to be cruel. In fact, once we become like him and get close to him, he's going to ask us to go serve those people like Ammon did and help share our testimony and 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 view them as potential brothers and sisters, right? Or, you know, and but but we can miss it, and then it becomes an us versus them. It becomes, you know, I, I don't know if that makes any sense, but it, that's where I was thinking about this whole story. Yeah, it, it does make sense. And I think that um, how, how do we not fall susceptible to that stuff is, that, like I said, we listen to what the prophet's saying and that we're aware of, of the, these scripture examples. Um, we have plenty of examples throughout the scriptures of people who have been obedient and who have stood up for what they believe in without uh, necessarily uh, ridiculing or or putting down those who haven't done the right thing. Uh, they just kind of are like, this is this is who we're going to be. This is for me in my house. This is who we'll serve. Right. Um, President Kimball has a quote in the Sunday School Manual. It says, I'm convinced that each of us at some time in our lives must discover the scriptures for ourselves and not just discover them once, but rediscover them again and again. I feel strongly that we must, all of us, return to the scriptures just as King Josiah did and let them work mightily within us, impelling us to an unwavering determination to serve the Lord. I find that when I get casual in my relationships with divinity and when it seems that no divine ear is listening and no divine voice is speaking, that I am far, far away. If I immerse myself in the scriptures, the distance narrows and the spirituality returns. I find myself loving more intensely those whom I must love with all my heart and mind and strength and loving them more. I find it easier to abide their counsel. <clears throat> this is something that I, I can attest to. Um, the times when I have been very diligent about my scripture study and really tried to understand what it is that the Lord wants me to know from the things that I'm reading, I have benefited tremendously from it. And the times when I've strayed away from that or just haven't really paid much attention or done gone through the motions, um, 
I don't get nearly as much out of it and I don't feel as as united or, or I might feel far, far away, as President Kimball says. Um, <clears throat> I think that in order to not be like the children of Israel in these chapters, in order to not be like constantly fighting, leaving the Lord's side, um, that that consistency, that minimal consistency has to be there. That, you know, remembering and studying, that's the entire message of the of the entire Book of Mormon is remember, right? And I think that that's something that is applicable not only to the Book of Mormon, but also to the children of Israel and also to us as individuals. Remember what it is you're doing. Remember why it is you you do these things. Remember the commandments that you that you have and remember the covenants that you've made. Um, the covenants we've made are meant to tell us the why to the commandments. Here's here's the commandments. Boom, boom, boom. Well, why do I have to do all that? Here's some covenants to understand why. Become an engaged learner. Immerse yourself in the scriptures to understand better Christ's mission and ministry. Know the doctrine of Christ so that you understand its power for your life. Internalize the truth that the atonement of Jesus Christ applies to you. Every time you plug in your phone, use it as a reminder to ask yourself, if you have plugged into the most important source of spiritual power, prayer and scripture study, which will charge you with inspiration through the Holy Ghost, it will help you know the mind and will of the Lord to make the small but important daily choices that determine your direction. My dear brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ invites us to take the covenant path back home to our heavenly parents and be with those we love. He invites us to come follow me. Thank you.